Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. And we are so overjoyed to be joined by a very special guest for this evening. And his name is sometimes known as Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly, but mostly known as Sam Duckworth. Massive musician, massive wrestling fan. Welcome to Wrestling Should Be Fun, Sam. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure, mate. We are big fans of you here. And the fact that you're a big wrestling fan makes us even bigger fans of you. <laughs> that is good to hear. That is a rarity. Only, only a wrestling fan would know. <laughs> Absolutely. So, we're going to start off right from the start. What was your first memories of pro wrestling? I think action figures is yep. such a gateway to pro wrestling when you you know i remember having i must have been i don't know about eight maybe seven i don't know how old i was but having a wcw ring when wcw yep. was on itv for a little bit around when around the time i would have been that age and then i totally forgot about wrestling for ages okay and then it would have been yeah i was a teenager in the attitude era so there kind of became a point where wrestling was um impossible to escape yeah, yeah, so at the Attitude Era for us was very much like moulded into South Park, MTV, all that sort of stuff. Was that the same for you at school? Did you have like a group of friends that kind of went round to each other's houses and watched Raw and the pay-per-views? A bit. I suppose it was quite an odd one because um, we didn't have Sky at home. Actually, we didn't get Sky until I got paper round and I spent my paper round money on buying Sky so I could watch wrestling. Love it. So that kind of contextualizes like where I was at that time. And I suppose it would um this is pre the Bravo channels. So WCW would have been on one channel and then Raw was on Sky Sports. And I don't think SmackDown had launched yet. So uh, what got me really back into it was WCW Worldwide on Channel 5. Okay. I think it was like a kind of clip show of um, Nitro and Thunder and a few. I suppose it would be like a dark elevation, maybe on on steroids. Yeah, and, I do uh, remember watching that show as well. And they had like the um, old school Batman stuff for when there was like a chair shot. <laughs> well, that came about halfway through. I think at the similar time, Channel 4 had just picked up Sunday Night Heat. And then loads of people started um, doing wrestling in the house and injured themselves. And schools <laughs> kicked off. And next thing you know, there's Batman captions on wrestling. <laughs> Absolutely. That, so that, was around, that was around the point that I just got cable. And also it was like seven or eight weeks behind. And so like my desire to find out more about wrestling, I got I was like early dirt sheet. Do you know what I mean? Kind of um, the AOL groups and stuff like that. Raja WWF. So there were yeah. a few few people that I knew like from school or from outside of school that are into wrestling, but not as many as um, I'd probably have liked, you know? Yeah, for sure. So you kind of got back into it through WCW and a bit of Attitude Era, WWF. I know from reading stuff in the past about you is that you were a big independent wrestling fan as well. So were mm. you kind of a tape trader at the start as well? Did you try and get your hands on some kind of Super J Cup stuff or ECW stuff from back in the day? I think... Tape trading in the in the US seems like quite a different thing to tape trading in the UK because outside of Power Slam, I don't actually think there was anywhere you could find out anything about where to buy things from. Right. I think every town and like 
small town had one, you know, where it's like a shop that sold comics. Yeah, as you say, South Park, Jackass, wrestling figures, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know, like a kind of like... My kids are a bit but not really into music. Kind of, where do we go? Right, Um, right, yeah. Every town had a shop that kind of would service that. So, but they didn't really sell um, wrestling tapes. Like, I um, I bought quite a lot of um, ECW tapes through HMV. Yep, did the same, yep. (laughs) Um, And and I remember, like, the last year, I think, of um, ECW on TNN was um, was on Bravo as well. So it was like... I think there was a situation where you had Raw Smackdown, the dying deaths of Nitro and um, yeah, and ECW all at once. So I suppose ECW was, um, you know, my kind of gateway into independent wrestling, I suppose. Like I would have started watching it probably 99 and then worked my way back. So, you know, I'd heard a lot about it in mythology. I'd just read Foley's book as well. So and yeah. I was like super into it at this point. Went to a few... Um, I can't remember what the name of the wrestling was, but there was, you know, what is now probably equivalent to Wrestle Force, I suppose, you know, like independent stuff that would come to the school gym in South End. Um, <laughs> yep. But like the first major wrestling event I went to was Nitro at the Docklands Arena. I think I went to that as well. I do remember going to the Docklands for a WCW show. Mm, and and it was underwhelming, to be honest. Like when you... Yeah, we caught WCW at the wrong time, really. It was like 2000, right? Something like that. I mean, it was amazing to be there. Like, I'm so uh, so lucky that like, a friend of school had a spare ticket and big up like Glenn if you're out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you do, when you're used to TV wrestling, it's quite an adjustment, isn't it? Getting used to um, not being able to see things in such detail. You're not having the storytelling of the commentary and all those kind of things that you rely on. So... I wasn't like, oh, yes, can't wait to go back to wrestling. But then, I don't know, when I think TNA did a really good job of kind of crossing over that line between what was, you know, to be fair, like a British independent wrestling scene that had picked up a bit from the Attitude Era boom, but wasn't, you know, what would now become known as Brit Rest. It was like, you know, it was like lower league football. And I think that that's not to diminish the quality of the wrestling or the amount of people that put effort into it but i think whether it's youtube whether it's social media or whatever there's been the thing to connect the fan to let them know that independent wrestling is as good as the wrestling that they'll you know that they see on tv if not better often but you can see it yeah you know when you go to the big arena shows you can kind of watch you know you can kind of watch it in a different way it's in a, i suppose in a similar way to like watching football on tv versus you know football in the ground but then yeah, I started going to independent shows. TNA really kind of, you know, I there were so many people like flying and stuff at the TNA shows, so you knew kind of what other events were happening. Started to watch a lot of Ring of Honor. This is around the time where you could just buy twenty DVDs for a tenner on eBay. Yes, that was the dream, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like, and you know, just un- pal unlock your DVD player, and then the next thing you know, like you can watch all of these classic matches. So. You know, I suppose that was um, where I first start, started to see Kings Road stuff from New Japan, uh, from All Japan. Where I started to watch um, a bit of XPW until I realised it was awful and like <laughs> not not so much for me. But yeah, I was massively into TNA, and I suppose that's also around the time that like kind of Get Cape started to like kick into gear. Because yeah, I'd have, so it'd have been ninety nine. I would have been fifteen maybe. So around the time of TNA, I was starting to be like. 2021 
Yeah. And yeah, so my music career was happening at the same time, but I was massively into wrestling and there was loads more opportunities to go to live shows. So I just, that's when, and I suppose internet tech as well, you know, Chikara podcast, a go-go like that. I don't know if you're a Chikara fan, but it was like the first video podcast ever on iTunes. Then suddenly you could watch like all of this episodic wrestling TV um, yeah. And then, yeah, that's the moment where I really started to love independence, not just for its, um, you're going to see the stars of tomorrow kind of mentality, but also for the difference, you know, you get, you'd get wrestlers, you get storylines, you get ideas that you wouldn't see necessarily um, at that time on what was an extremely PG WWF product. Yes. And also coming from the musician world where you've got your own kind of hardcore fan community it kind of coincides with wrestling as well independent wrestling has that kind of feel where you're kind of part of something i think we're of the same mindset we deviated from the the typical route and dedicated our lives to something that we love and spend hundreds of days a year going to different places setting up an event and popping it down yeah, you know it's an extension of the circus. You know, music—you've <laughs> got to love it. You've got to believe in it. You've got to believe in yourself and the people around you. You kind of roll in as a unit. You know, you've got your own kind of language, your own in jokes. Like, you know, I think that re- you have to have that mindset really to be successful in music. That you're going to dedicate your life to it. And I think there's no option but the same in wrestling. And I think that as a result, that kind of gives people—you know—wrestlers and musicians a, a, a kinship that's you know, not just built on a respect enough of each other's craft, but a shared mindset in the process. Absolutely. And we obviously had that with the British wrestling scene come around 2012, 2013, where there was a massive boom with RevPro and Progress. And obviously it's gone through many metamorphoses since then. Are you still in touch with the British wrestling scene? I am. I think that what we've got to remember, and, you know, in 10 years' time, it will look super obvious and i'm hoping that you know AEW's presence on itv and impact's continued presence on you know freeview well the generation that, that you know that made brit rest are the generation that um were teenagers in the attitude era yeah you know when wrestling was available on terrestrial television you know where independent events were available and i think there's a hardcore of british wrestling fans uh you know that you know, that are in their 30s now, you know, that grew up around that time that have been heavily influenced by, you know, acts that you didn't have to look a certain way to be a wrestler. You could be, you know, if you were the best, you could just be the best and that was enough. Absolutely. You know, yeah. you know whether that, you know, the Dudley's Hardy's Edge and Christian right the way, you know, I guess going through to AJ Styles and that grass glass ceiling of like someone that looked like AJ and of AJ's height and independent background can still be a main event WrestleMania star. I yes. think that, you know, Brit Rest boomed because people that got into wrestling when wrestling was booming decided to cut their own path and do their own thing. Like I was at the very first progress at the garage and, you know, just the concept of like being able to, because a lot of independent wrestling at the time wasn't really York Hall and stuff. It was like Basingstoke or if you didn't live in London or you lived in Essex, it was quite hard to get to indie shows. Yeah. So Progress kind of brought wrestling back into London. So it was easy to get to. And now there's and so think, many shows in London with so many different promotions, aren't there? I mean, I'm at, I'm at a point now where I've got to remind myself to not take it for granted because 
I watch so much wrestling, but I, you know, it's it's not miles away to get from Southend to to London. But I need to do it more often to go and see some matches because it's, I mean, arguably the one of the best matches, if not the best match in history. You know, Will Osprey, independent British wrestling. You know, from Essex. You know, having no doubt this year's best match of Kenny. But, you know, the fact is that he's also, you know, often at the Rev Pro shows. And, you know, Michael Oku is, you know, he's got to be got to be a shoe in for Rookie of the Year if he continues wrestling the way he is. And, you know, he's somebody that's come up through through Rev Pro, through Progress. And, you know, I, I think British wrestling, unfortunately, uh, has is, is in a rebuilding process. It had a really dark and sad time, you know, and... I think that he's in that rebuilding process, and I actually think that um, the rebuilding process is a phoenix from the flames for the promotions in in Britain, and it's going to be at a point where it explodes yet again soon because some of the talent that's coming out now easily matches those of 2012, 2013, in my opinion. Without a doubt, you know, I think they grew up around them. I think they've learned how not to behave. I think that there is, but you still, you know, you still have pillars like I'm. I believe that like punk rock scenes or whatever are like are generally held together by, you know, people that everyone loves and can depend on that just like say to everyone, stick it out or dig in or encourage, you know, people like Eddie Dennis, you know, I think that yeah. he to me is like the embodiment of, of British wrestling. Eddie Dennis, Mark Andrews, especially like, you know, seen Mark Andrews so many times in dark shots or, you know, you know, eventually getting into impact. But, you know, these people have, have spanned that time before the Brit Rest Boom, through the Brit Rest Boom, through speaking out, and they're going to be there with like the next generation kind of shaping the future of, of what it looks like. And I think it's really difficult, isn't it? Because a lot of like the, you know, those big states, you know, statesmen and stateswomen ended up, you know, in the, the NXT UK situation. And I hope that freeing up some of that recognisable talent, but also those kind of um, dependable, mentorable talent alongside this like rawness that's out there of like incredibly enthusiastic storytelling, you know, British wrestling. I think you're right. It's a Phoenix from the flames. I think it's going to be a case of there'll be a moment where it clicks again, you know, when the enthusiasm and the pack, like people can feel proud again. I think that, Everyone was really proud of Brit Rest, you know. It was a real yeah, and that's what made the an independent scene, and it's through different groups and the darkness and the kind of commerciality kind of collided to leave like a kind of real hard sour taste in people's mouths. But you know, I think that you're right. I think the quality's there for sure. Like, and I don't know, just the the idea of um, getting back into regularity is something that I need to kind of you know not take for granted because. You know, I waited like 20 years for a British wrestling scene and then one came along and, you know, I need to make sure that I'm still there supporting it with tickets and merch and stuff. Absolutely. And we would love to have a beer with you if you ever do come down, Sam. (laughs) We were going to say, actually, that um, you were talking about how TNA was kind of a product for the UK fans that grew up in the Attitude Era. There was part of me during that boom where TNA were getting the biggest gates of their year, year after year. I was thinking, they obviously went to Canada to kind of rebuild their company. Imagine if we had the like Styles, Lashley, Angle years with the base in, 
in Britain. That could have been incredible. Yeah, and I, I mean, I was fortunate, I suppose. I think, firstly, before anything else, I think everybody in the um, in the UK wrestling fandom, especially those that have a soft spot for TNA, there's a guy, uh, Simon Rothstein. You know, he um, he did the wrestling podcast at National Newspaper, and then, but he was the guy that like was one of the UK guys that set up the fan parties. You know, would you know do the press and the marketing for TNA in the UK, and he's what like one of those unsung heroes of of that era of British wrestling because you know he's such a dude. You know, so nice, so sweet, really approachable, and I think it opened a lot of doors. Like for me, it opened a lot of doors to be able to actually. You know, I had um, I did a music video with uh, Austin Aries and Alex Shelley. We had some one of our Get Cape Tunes as music on a TNA pay per view. Yeah, it really opened that door and and yeah, it allowed me to live out a lot of dreams in in the crossover between music and wrestling. And I remember at the time, everyone being like, "We should. this needs to stay, this should come here, this should come here. And I think it's such a shame that TNA decided to get all Monday night. Like, it's interesting listening to some of those Jeff Jarrett podcasts where they're talking about that kind of the transition from Jarrett to Bischoff-Russo. And I think that Impact probably, at TNA probably would have had a better run in the UK and more regularity because the infrastructure was there, both in terms of like Simon and the team that were delivering the press and marketing, you know, Challenge and Bravo were doing a good job with the TV. And you're right, you know, it was eight and a half thousand at Wembley for, um, yep. you know, for and people say about the commercialization of the Brit Rest scene for NXT UK, but it was actually Impact, the way to go first with the boot camp series and things with some incredible talent doing um, matches at the York Hall. And then the TV show that that went with it, you had the likes of Nikki Cross, Andrews, Noam Dar, so many talents. Obviously, Grado went on to work there for a fair amount of time through that as well. Magnus, Doug Williams. Yes, they had such an opportunity with the British scene, just obviously didn't quite fall into place, sadly. Yeah, I suppose like like their gut check and things like that. And, and I suppose also in the production of a lot of the UK events, I think that if you had, I mean... The Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling is such a, you know, big question. But if you were to have a, a Mount Rushmore of behind the camera, you know, obviously you'd put, put Heyman in there, you know, of independent wrestling. But the person I think you put in there as well is Jeremy Borash. Yes, yeah. WCW, like FM or whatever it was, I can't remember what it was, but they had a ra- weekly radio station in the very early days of internet radio. You know, then through to TNA in terms of all the production of both the events and YouTube content and reality based content. Then through to the Matt Hardy Broken Universe, then into WWE to produce all of this cinematic pandemic era stuff. Like, I don't know, like the guy, the guy brought a lot of, um, additional content to the uk at a time where additional content wasn't so in vogue yes yeah there was so much stuff for tna like in the uk on youtube and you know or extras or events you could turn up to or meet and greets or whatever that that's what locked in the uk fans and i think that brit rest then organically carried that same momentum through you know through a variety, you know, in a variety of different locations, you know, Cardiff and Manchester, Wolverhampton, London, you know, uh, Glasgow Garage. Like there were, that energy was still there. And then I think, unfortunately for NXT UK is that um, it lost that like director fan energy. 
yeah, obviously the last two years of its product, they pretty much were wrestling in front of either no fans or a pocket full of fans at the BT Studios. It just wasn't the same as what it was when it started. Unfortunately, NXT UK, it never really felt like it became what it was intended to be in terms of... <laughs> right product at the wrong time. I think I don't know too much about, you know, the situation that they had over there, but I thought the pandemic content, you know, like it was a blessing to have it. You know, I think that any organisation that, that managed to put out, that either managed to put out wrestling content or like Ring of Honor did and pay it stuff, like any anyone that survived that period of time, yeah. like knowing what it's like with a live events business shutting down, like, wrestling's a whole different ball game because there's so many more people and it's so you know it's episodic and it's weekly but anyone that was able to put anything off during that time big respect to them i think the nxc uk takeovers had a good energy about them but it was oh, yeah. it was just a shame that there was only three which just seems like such a myth i suppose you know when you try and go to america to work it's expensive so I, I always think about what it must be like to try and get a, a squad of like 40 people over from Florida to the UK and all the working visas and everything connected to it. I can't imagine, you know, outside of a, with a, a developmental eye, it was ever going to evolve into a profit making machine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to do think that way, whether you like it or not. Yeah, there was always a buzz after each takeover for NXT UK. But then obviously with the episodic ones being filmed in like six weeks in advance, it, it never really like carried through because it, it was the exciting thing about pay-per-views are that you then watch the like Raw or SmackDown afterwards to see what happens, right? Whereas that was never possible with NXT UK because it was always pre-filmed for like six weeks. Well, the in-rings always, was always good. You know, the in-ring was always good and it was always like logical storytelling with good arcs. But live... It's just, it's, I'm like, there's something, whether it's sports or whether it's sports entertainment or wrestling or whatever you want to call it, I will watch something if it's live. But if yeah. it's not live, there's just something in the back of my brain that's like, how much do you actually want to watch this? Do you just want to find out what happened? And then just watch the matches that you like or watch the highlights of the game. And that's unshakable. Yeah. And that's something that, that uh, Dynamite has done fantastically, isn't it? You know, I've stayed up to every single Dynamite on a Wednesday night and watched it live. Every yep. single And that's, that's proof of the pudding, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm I'm so thankful for Dynamite because it's the wrestling that I want to watch. And, you know, that halfway between American independent, British independent style meets Japan meets, you know, WCW production, bring it on. Like, I'm in. Like, that is yeah. exactly what I'm in wrestling. <laughs> but, you know, I've fallen off the map with Rampage. Interesting, you know, isn't it? Like not, how we're talking about the live element, I guess. That's what it is for me, you know, and maybe a bit like 3am, like, but I don't know. I think that when a lot of the talk about why Rampage is struggling, it's like, it'd be fine if it was live. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not that something needs to be must see. It's that you don't want people falling out of the habit of our uh, watch it another time. Yeah. Which is kind of exactly what I was trying to make the point with NXT UK. I feel like... I mean, that was it, though, wasn't it, really? That was a, sh a shame. I think if it was able to be episodic and weekly and live... That's it. And it draws you in and there's a bit of buzz, you know? That's one thing that, that we spoke about on the podcast when it was actually going on. Like, something like Tony Khan at the time was doing an incredible job of being a promoter on Twitter, on other people's podcasts, where he kind of made you feel like, I have to watch this show. 
Whereas NXT yeah. UK had no real buzz about it. it. It felt a real shame because obviously they had like someone who's as charismatic as Jim Smallman, who was part of it, who provided that for Progress fans during the Progress boom on Twitter with the videos and the tweets and, and whatnot. He kind of offered that kind of excitement and buzz, whereas there was no real PR around NXT UK. Uh, yeah, I mean, it all comes down to um, making the people that are giving up their time and money to support your product, giving them what are considered the basics. Yes. You know, and I think that we, I mean, wrestling fans are weird, you know, and I say that in like a, with a massive compliment because I'm such a huge wrestling fan. You know, I think the passion about Knowing more than just what you see on television is a big driving force of maybe in the UK, 30, 40,000 fans, you know, that will listen to podcasts that will, you know, watch additional content that are pleased that there's a storyline that only exists on social media for a show, you know, and those little bits of, um, well, daily news, I suppose, you know, daily news, daily discussion is what keeps something prevalent in your mind now i think we're in a you know we're in a scrolling news 24 hours a day everything's got you know its own ancillary content vehicles you know we're in a time where we, we expect that level you know of engagement in something that we invest in and the independent podcasting world and the independent youtube world is able to provide that for a vast majority of um wrestling content across the world but for some reason like british podcasting and video content and everything like that around the time of Brit wrestling NXT UK NXT UK never really felt like it was um in loved in that same community no no quite the opposite actually <laughs> and this is the thing with Vince McMahon right it's like it doesn't matter what, like I've watched so much WWF and WWE over the years but so much money and a bit of live events what have you but like there's something about that culture that didn't mesh with what UK independent culture was either Correct. proclaiming yeah. to be or representing itself as and i think that um there were just uh, there's just moments that felt uh, you know early on into nxt uk that felt a little bit corporate and it was like well my natural instinct is to reject this then yes yeah you know and, and I, and think, I think a lot of people felt that which is a shame but it's completely understandable you know yeah. because it didn't have the same investment and free reign that say nxt us had And there was the expectation that it would be kind of more akin to NXT US in terms, you know, the takeovers set that tone. Yes. It just didn't have that ability to translate that in terms of its weekly. And, you know, I think rightly or wrongly, fans would have seen that as being an overhang of being within the WWE system more than a fault of, you know, Jim and the team that did a great job with progress before going over there. Absolutely. Let's quickly move on to the world of music, Sam. Yes, um, okay. In terms of a crossover, is there some kind of wrestling music WhatsApp group where the wrestling and music world collide? Not really, but we do talk about it. You know, there are moments we're trying to get this um, band together. It's been going on for years now, but I think we're going to do it this year called Out of Nowhere. We just do wrestling covers. But Amazing. Punk. Who's going to be part of that? So me and Rob Lynch have been talking about it a lot, but that like the more people that seem to we we talk to about it, the more it feels like it's a tangible amount of people to get it together and actually do it. Amazing. So that's really fun. It's like yeah, I mean, there's loads of there's loads of wrestling fans in in UK, you know, in UK music. And do you think that you'd of... be interested in touring that, or would it just be um, kind of Spotify? 
I think we'll just do like one or two gigs here. And to be honest with you, like the objective will probably be try and get into the pay-per-views and get on the Jericho cruise for free. That'll do. Mate, that'll be so good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I think it's it's a busman's holiday for loads of professional musicians to then do another band. But if it's, you know, if it's a chance to go to some fun wrestling conventions and what have you, then everyone will be <laughs> Otherwise, everyone will have managers and agents being like i know you love wrestling but are you sure like you don't want to not you know go on tour and lose loads of money to to do this <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i think it'll be a live only to be honest i don't think we'll be getting in the studio fair enough mate fair enough and obviously there's some incredible theme songs in the world of wrestling what would you say is your favorite wrestling theme such a difficult one i mean I think my favourite entrance was ECW Sandman. Correct. Yeah. But, you know, obviously I'm not going to go on a wrestling podcast and, and not give a shout out to Jim Johnson and <laughs> Mikey Ruckus. Like, there's, yeah, there's a lot of good wrestling themes. I mean, Cody's is amazing. I think a wrestling theme is legendary when it becomes synonymous with the wrestler. When you see, you know, the name comes up and you picture him, you picture the entrance, the song feels like part of it. I think that's amazing. I think of the new entrances, I think the Young Bucks coming out to Awood Sons is so cool. Like it's really cool, isn't it? Oh, it's such a tune. It just perfectly straddles that kind of 90s California wrestler, but times by the internet and hot topic thing that the Bucks do so well. I think that, that's super cool. Um, in terms of, I mean, the Adam Cole, you know, tune, the new one is a banger. That's an absolute banger uh, for sure. All the DX themes. You know, you can't you can't really fault them. But I think my all time favourite was um, the Samoa Joe TNA one. Yes, that's a shout. Yeah, just had like this really sick swing to it, and like every version of the doom, do do do. <laughs> Every version of his theme since has been that, but that the beat on that one, they haven't come close to it in terms of replicating it. So all-time super niche left field pick, Samoa J TNA. I love that you went back to your love of TNA there, Sam. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, when you go to a live show... What's it like when you take someone new and like for us, one of my favorite things is when we take a new person to wrestling. Is there a better feeling than watching someone enjoy live wrestling for the first time? Well, there's no worse feeling than taking somebody to live wrestling and then both not enjoying it. And then also thinking you're a little bit weird. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so it's a dice roll, you know, like when 
on that TNA tour in 2012 when we did the video and everything like that, and we were lucky to go to a few. And it was with people who I, you know, I knew and respected and friends. And it became very clear to me that I think people need to show an outward expression of wanting to go to wrestling and not everyone's going to be fascinated or find it cool. Many people were going to find it really weird. So I think my, my favourite thing, actually, of going to wrestling is just either bumping into somebody that I haven't seen in ages or just meeting some new people. You know, yes. I think there's there's something kind of, um, I don't know if it's like university alumni or, you know, or football away fans, but there's something about like a kinship of just knowing that you're wired the same way as the strangers in the room with you. And it's always fun to just like, you know, to fantasy book or to just, you know, share stories with people that you just, you know, that become friends, you know. I mean, there are people in my life now that are friends that I met through wrestling, you know, and seen wrestling events with. And, well, it's a great, and, and you know, again, needs to be and amplified this. It's a great safe environment to be weird. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. Okay, so Sam, this is the final part of the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what we call the Mixer Minute. And okay. It's just, and it's just a quick kind of um, quick fire questions for you. So we've starting off with Snog, Maria Void with three people that we know that you love. Paul Heyman, Tony Khan, Alex Shelley. All of the above, depending on which day of the week it is. I, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Next up, there's the Four Horsemen in Wrestling. But who are the four horsemen of music? Wow, that is an unbelievable question. Thanks, mate. Um, <laughs> Tony Allen on the drums, Jeff Tweedy singing, Lauren Hill also singing. This is my personal one. This is not, I mean, the old, the old time one. You just, you know, you just have a Beatles mountain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the way back and everyone scratches their name in with a compass. So Lauren Hill, Tony Allen, Jeff Tweedy, Walter Schreifels, Mike Skinner. No, five off the top of my head. Love it. Bit of a shame that you didn't pick Jeff Jarrett, but I'll let it go. <laughs> well, I mean, Jeff, I mean, to be fair to Jeff Jarrett, who can ha- can proclaim to have had the the journeyman career that he has? He is like he's like <laughs> he's the so dead of wrestling, isn't he? It's like there's always going to be a dead cut on the show. There's always going to be Jeff Jarrett, you know, slap nuts in his way around the globe for another decade. I'm sure. And he's in the country singing Hall of Fame, apparently. <laughs> I, I watched the um, I can't remember. I was listening to a podcast and it was Road Dog that did the voice. Correct, but, uh, correct. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely one hundred percent on the uh, out of nowhere set list, <laughs> mate. Yeah, like absolute tune. <laughs> I am so excited for that. By the way, so please let us know when you oh, do yeah. some gigs. Wrestler, you would least like to fight. Wrestler, I least like to fight. Yep. Lesnar? Yeah, that's a straight up answer, isn't it? Just just an absolute beast. <laughs> I'd last about five seconds. <laughs> How do you feel about Lesnar? Do you feel like he exemplifies what pro wrestling can be in terms of just box office? Or do you find his stuff a bit samey? I absolutely love Brock Lesnar. I, I think answer. I think Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman as a combo was like the only thing for like two or three years, like getting me through. Because I think when, you know, UFC was so, it was booming at the time, you know, it's just pre-Connor UFC, but like where it was, that was the kind of real 
buzz you know in a kind of demographic of of kind of entertainment combat or whatever and i think that wrestling got really cartoony and just the like the idea of the reality of uh, of lesnar it's like he went to new japan then he went you know he went to ufc won the world title the guy's the man like, yeah there's no doubt and his presence and just that kind of i don't know also you know you'd get five minutes of of grappling you know, plancher dive, commercial break number one. You know, you'd kind of you'd, you'd know the format of wrestling. And I think that Lesnar was a good reminder that like a four minute like power match doesn't necessarily need to be a squash, but like something at the same beat and same tempo as combat sports. So just yeah, it was totally refreshing. And you know, he looks hard. Heyman's clearly like they're clearly mates, and they're clearly mates in like a is, isn't he like he lives in like the outback or something? He's like proper, like, yeah, he's, 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 he's just to Canada or something, right? Yeah, it's like he's probably, yeah, proper like Wyoming or something, isn't it? It's like real, you know, um, G South kind of vibes, and then <laughs> like, you know, Studio 54 New York Hustler. So it's such an odd combo as well. I love it, yeah, massively. Obviously, you're a big Heyman fan, Sam. Has the Bloodline stuff kind of brought you back into WWE? Yeah, it has, yeah. Uh, the Bloodline stuff, Cody jumping ship, they're the two things that have kind of sparked my interest. I mean, I know I'm supposed to, but I find Seth Rollins so annoying that I make him. <laughs> but in ring, he's unbelievable, you know. He's like, you know, he's got to be, he's got to be in the conversation for like best in class of his, of his era. You know, he's certainly in the mixer for it. But yeah, I mean, I love Sami Zayn, like especially like, you know, getting first into wrestling, Chikara, you know, El Generico. Like, yes. I always try, and if I'm doing a photo shoot for an album, wear a wrestling T-shirt, and I remember having the El Generico Orphanage T-shirt in one of them. Like, I'm, I'm such a big fan of his. And um, the Bloodline storyline's really good because it's a storyline that everybody's wanted from Roman Reigns from the whole beginning, you know, like when he was being rammed down our throats, we just wanted to hate him for a bit and then we'd love him. Like, I think that that's part of wrestling is you've got to hate the person that you know is good. And then they, uh, you know, they earn your respect begrudgingly and then they come up with a few catchphrases and then they're massive. You know, yeah. that seems to be the arc of any megastar. And we didn't really have that Roman Reigns moment through like nine years of everybody trying, you know, from like beach ball mania right the way through. Like he got, he's got the brunt of that era of um, apathy and, you know, and heat that WWF product had. And I just think that Sami Zayn is so, so good. And it's great to see him having that moment. I love that Kevin Owens is, you know, from that um, Festival of Friendship onwards, it became very clear that um, Kevin Owens could play a character that we'd not seen in wrestling before, like probably since Foley. You know, somebody that was hard, but you kind of loved them and then they kind of had a mean streak and then they'd kind of become yeah. incredibly sympathetic. Talking of um, Mick Foley, those bumps that he took on the ring steps at the Royal Rumble were disgusting, weren't they? I mean, when your hero's Terry Funk, you know, <laughs> what you do, right? like, I don't know, it's just, I remember like, but, you know, seeing... Um, Terry Funk Cactus Jack matches went back, you know, back in the buy matches on eBay or try and get them however you could. And yeah, it's all kind of it's super barbaric, isn't it? But <laughs> you listen to them on the podcast, you read their books and you realise that they live for those moments. They pay for those moments, but they live for those moments. So 
you kind of see him and you think, what are you doing? You absolute matter. But then there's part <laughs> of it, like, it's only yeah. because you're a little bit older and you were doing that when you were younger. I was not even paying any attention to the damage it was doing, really. And I suppose you've learned a lot in hindsight. But man, Foley, legend, nutter, legend. Absolute legend. Back to the questions. Funniest yeah. wrestler. Funniest. Ooh. I'm not an overly big fan of comedy wrestling. Okay. I like I like comedy in wrestling, but I don't love comedy wrestling. Okay. Um, the first name that popped into my head was Santino Morella, but I don't think that's probably my actual answer. <laughs> like, I I love like I love being the elite. Oh you yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, so John Silver. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Elite. Those segments of Brady Lee like backstage in Daly's place are the funniest things in wrestling in a very, very, very long time. Do you think he'll be pushed beyond anything what he has been, or do you think sadly he's kind of got that ceiling on him? My ambition to like say headline Glastonbury or headline Reading is not really an ambition in my life, you know. Like I'm just I love being where I am doing what I love to do. You know, I think that there is this culture in wrestling that you need to be the biggest star in the world, otherwise you haven't made it. And I think that like John Silver to me is like he represents independence in wrestling, you know, like it's a kind of I don't think it's a character that would necessarily work in a Vince McMahon product, but in, you know, in AW is wicked. And I think that the Dark Order, I mean, I think Stu Grayson is one of the most underrated wrestlers in the modern era. And I think it's a shame that he's no, no longer with them. But, you know, I think that he's in a great place. You know, if I was John Silver, I'd be stoked, you know, like he's loved, he's funny, he gets to be himself, his in-ring's good. And I think maybe there'll be like a, you know, a US title run or something. But if there's not, I don't think anyone should look at it as not being like that guy's a, had a successful career. I mean, in the um, Broken Skull Sessions interview with, uh, where, you know, like with, there's one with Jericho and then there's one with Jeff Jarrett. And they're talking about how almost every member of the roster of the Attitude Era is in the Hall of Fame now. And it was the Godfather show. That was it. They're talking about, the, you know, and. Yeah, yeah. And with that, you know, that's what wrestling should aspire to be. Everyone on the card should aspire to be, you know, unique and loved and successful. And fans shouldn't have this judgment that if they don't have a world title, they're not, you know, a legitimate part of the journey. Because, you know, otherwise we're, we become a culture that we, we forget to honour the people that weren't necessarily your festival headliners, but still made influential records, you know. And I think the wrestling has that same feel to me anyway. Well said, well said. Just because they aren't booked in a certain way, it doesn't mean that they're not loved. Totally. And, you know, if you're, if you're able to make a living doing what you love, you know, that is, that is success because that is hard, especially in, in, in a field like wrestling. You have to work to get there. Absolutely, yeah. And it's something that you have done yourself. So congrats on that, Sam. Next question. You can play any historic wrestling venue. What would it be? I thought about this a lot, you know, because like we, I did a US tour and we drove out of our way to go to see the at ECW arena from the outside, um, yep. you know, see where like historic wrestling venues. I suppose I'd say the ECW arena, but also Hammerstein. Yeah, Hammerstein yeah. is actually a concert venue, so I think I'd be made up one day if I was able to like open for somebody at Hammerstein and just you know the view from the stage is the. You know, is, is the view from the hard cam. So yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably there for sure too. 
Hopefully people won't be throwing back your shirts, Sam. I wouldn't mind, to be honest. I, think come, I would come out on stage to the Sandman and to Sandman by Metallica. I wouldn't be able to stop myself. Even if I was then going to play like 30 minute acoustic set or whatever, I'd still do it. I just wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the whole head, head smashing can thing, but... Yeah, please don't do that. <laughs> Trying to not forget your songs. <laughs> That's a good. Um, it's a good thing to try and keep hold of, really. Not. <laughs> and last but not least, we've heard of Desert Island Discs, where you can uh, listen to a, to a certain record for the rest of your life on a desert island. Who would be your desert island wrestler? So you've got the whole back catalogue, and you can only watch one wrestler on, and the whole back catalogue. Who's it going to be? Chris Jericho. Good choice. I wouldn't say he's my favourite wrestler of all time, but I think he's got the variety in terms of, you know, early stuff, some unbelievable, like, Young Lions-style matches, you know, the WCW matches, then his whole journey with The Rock, the storytelling there, you know, the feuds of Triple H, you know, um, undisputed championship reign, you know, then through to the work he's doing in AEW. In terms of in-ring, if it was in-ring only, Brian Danielson, but for the whole, I can only one, watch one wrestler. I'd watch Jericho because I'd get to watch the best of every style of wrestling from every company he's been in. He's worked the greats yeah. and had some near all-timers on every show, like the most consistent four-and-a-half to five-star performer of you know of the last 20 years. I'm holding out for um, a surprise Jericho appearance at a Brit Rest show this year. Surely it's going to happen, right? I suppose it depends on how much rumour and conjecture there is around this AEW UK show. Because yeah. they've announced that there's going to be one. You know, I, I would be made up to see that happen. And I think that, um, I don't know, the Jericho Appreciation Society seems to, um, well, it doesn't have any British members, you know, and I'm sure he'd probably be in the mood to recruit someone. And, you know, he's playing lip service to, to a couple at the moment. So who knows? Yeah, the um, pop when they turned up at Bola was amazing on Twitter. I want to go to Bola so bad. Like my, I, I wanted to do it this year, but it wasn't, wasn't practical or financially responsible, but hopefully <laughs> I really want to do Wrestle Kingdom, couple of days in Japan, go to LA, Bola. You know, I really want to do that like 10 day stretch. That's like, that's the pro wrestling travel trip of dreams for me. Mate, what you need to do is get in touch with Wrestle Tours. They seem to be doing a lot of stuff like that. They do. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe we should do a partnership with Out of Nowhere. Maybe that could be the way. Oh, mate, do that. And then we are buying tickets immediately. <laughs> man, I, I mean, I've got, I'd love to go to a show in Japan. I'd love to go, yeah, I'd love to go to Arena Mexico, but to go to Tokyo Dome, you know, just the culture shock of it. I think, you know, I, I was thinking about this a lot, actually, with, it, with this podcast and, you know, some other bits in mind of, if I was to pick like loads of Mount Rushmore type things, why would I never go with New Japan? And I think it's that um, I can't yet compute the energy that I see on the camera to a real life setting. I think WWF and AW makes total sense to me because you can compute those arenas, but the, the culture of how, you know, those New Japan shows work. You know, I went yeah. to, I was, I was so fortunate because the tour coincided. We f we flew four hours across America on the day off to go to the um, New Japan um, Ring of Honor MSG show. Oh, a few of our friends went to that and said it was incredible. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And 
but it's it's weird seeing like New Japan wrestling in that kind of Western context. Yes, yeah. You know, they're um, still quality. A friend of ours of the group, Mike, went to that show, and he will not stop talking about the fact that he's seen the great Muta live. Well, I think was Muta at Nitro. Oh, was he? I don't know. He maybe might... not. He may Few have been. Fans. He may have been. But yeah, what a maybe. legend. it was yeah it was bagging and and, yeah i I love new japan in ring but i I mean to experience yeah like uh, osaka joe hall or tokyo dome or budokan show or maybe all of the above in a three-day period (laughs) yeah that is is the one sick isn't it because you can have the jericho appreciation society turn up and like what are considered to be the snobbiest like hipster latte drinking wrestling fans right so <laughs> and, and like bowler is like the american hardcore of them but you know jericho can turn up in a sparkly jacket and people lose their minds like, i love that you know I, I love that crossover between you know when a when a massive band turns up in a small venue by accident everyone's like What's going on here? Why is it? <laughs> yeah. Matter if you like him or not, you just suddenly become like you're overawed by the star power of it. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself, mate. Couldn't have put it better myself. Talking of star Cape power, Cape. get cape where cape fly. Where can we get hold of you? Socials? Have you got anything to plug in terms of gigs, records that are on their way? Yeah, I'm just working on an album at the moment, but it's gonna it's it's a unspecified length of time between now and when it's when it comes out. So, um. I can't really plug that. But what I'd say is probably the best place for wrestling fans to follow me is Twitter. So at ForgetCape, F-O-R-G-T-C-A-P-E. Because, um, yeah, I'll be up every Wednesday generally chatting, watching Dynamite and um, other major events. And, yeah, I think that Twitter is where I do my wrestling stuff, where I chat about things. And, yeah, every so often I'll plug something else I'm up to. But at the moment I'm kind of deep in the album wormhole. Amazing. Well, we are very excited for it. Big fans here, and we're sure it's going to be an absolute storm. And thank you so much for coming on to Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure. And welcome back anytime. Wicked. Thanks for having me. I loved it. Cheers, Sam. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun, wrestling should be fun.